Hey, Forge family. This is the second episode in the series of podcasts entitled Jacob's Story. And uh, we are looking at the life of Jacob and his family through the last 25 chapters of the book of Genesis. And we see how his family carries the seed that's going to run through his family and through the, the nation of Israel all the way to the birth of Jesus. We're beginning in chapter 26 this week, but first I want to uh, ask a question. Why would the narrator, the compiler of Genesis, uh, these, these oral accounts through the five books, first books of the scriptures, that's called Torah in the Hebrew scripture community, it's the Pentateuch, if you will, in the, in the Bible scholars world, uh, these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Why would the narrator, having already introduced Esau and Jacob and their conflict and the fact that Jacob wants the birthright and has found a way to get it. That was how we ended chapter 25 where it said, and Esau despised his birthright. And then the, the narrator inserts Chapter 26, and it's all about Isaac and Rebekah. So let me suggest to you, I mean, last week we talked about what Esau and Jacob heard sitting in the tent, walking with, being around Grandpa Abraham, because li he lived 15 years after they were born. And they would have heard not only from their dad and mom, from Isaac and Rebekah, they would have heard from Abraham himself of God's faithfulness to call him out of Ur of the Chaldees, about his adventures in the land, about how he lied twice about the fact that Sarai was not his wife, it was his sister, and how the Lord handled that. Uh, he heard about the battles with the, with the kings of the east and, and uh, how Lot's family left and went down to Sodom, how Hagar the slave girl from Egypt was given to him by Sarai as a wife, and he, he, he and she had a son named Ishmael, who was the firstborn, but not the one that God would accept. Uh, we heard about the, the birth of Isaac, the amazing promise that Isaac was coming when Abraham was 100 years old, and then his following year later, a birth. Uh, and then uh, with that comes uh, Years later, God tells Father Abraham, Grandpa Abraham, to take his son, to take dad, to take Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering, a living human sacrifice on an altar on Mount Moriah. And, and, and last week we talked about that. And, and we heard about how the servant of Abraham was sent back to Haran to get a wife for dad to get a wife for Isaac. And she, there he is. There's mom. There's Rebecca. There's dad. And they've heard all these stories. Now we get plunged into chapter 26. And the shift is, we're not hearing about it. These young men, Esau and Jacob, were living in the house. Live, if you will. Living in the tent city along with Isaac and Rebecca when this, event, when this series of events of chapter 26 happens. Now we know that Esau was a man of the fields, and so he came and he went and may have missed some of chapter 26 just because he was out and gone. However, 
for certainty, Jacob, being a man who lived in tents and who was committed to learning the family business, he was present and he would have seen this and he would have heard it. So chapter 26 begins with a famine. And But we're going to begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, we ask now that there would be no famine of the word of God. Instead, there would be a flow of the word of God into our hearts so that we hear it and we receive it and we prepare to reproduce it and tell it to someone else. Help us learn those lessons. Help us learn how to, to ponder and, and think through and remind ourselves from the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 26 of Genesis says that there was a famine in the land and the Lord comes, the Lord appears to Isaac and says, I want you to stay here. Don't go down to Egypt. Stay here in the land and I will bless you. And it goes on for about five verses how, how God is going to bless Isaac. Now this is a very powerful reiteration of the promises and the blessings that God had already given to his father Abraham, to Grandpa Abraham. And I'm sure that that, that encounter with God would have been talked about in the family tents. So what Isaac and Rebekah do and the kids. Now realize, Isaac inherited everything from Abraham. He is a wealthy guy. It is a wealthy household. And they come up and they come out of the, the desert region and they go into the Philistine lands to Gerar. And they come right up next to the lands that are controlled by King Abimelech. It's not the same Abimelech that Abraham had dealings with 100 years before. It, this is a title. It was a title that was passed to the next one in line. Could be firstborn son. Okay, And so uh, even though he has the same title, it's a different person. And, and as Isaac comes into Gerar, he spreads the word around that this beautiful woman with him is his sister. Now that's the same lie that Abraham told to Pharaoh and to the previous Abimelech, king of Gerar, a hundred years before. And somehow that all worked out. That somehow Pharaoh, to get rid of the plague on his house, sent Abraham away with great riches. And, and while Abimelech was innocent of it, he made sure that, that the reputation of Sarai was intact and he paid a thousand silver pieces to Abraham. Now they're back inside the Philistine territory and Isaac tells a lie. Well, in truth, Rebekah's not his sister. She's his cousin. So in some senses, it's a bit of an even more egregious lie. And so they continue, things are at peace. He's, Isaac said he did it because he feared for his life, that he would be killed and his wife would be taken. Well, Here's Abimelech looking out the window of his facilities there in Gerar, and he sees Isaac joyfully, joyfully caressing his wife. And he goes, surely that is not that man's sister. That is that man's wife. And so there's this confrontation between Abimelech and Isaac. And Isaac said, I, I really feared for my life. And that's why I, I said, she's my sister. And Abimelech said, you could have brought shame on all of us. And so he makes a command to all his people, don't touch this man. Do not touch this woman. So out of the lie that was spoken comes protection. They're set apart. They're protected inside the Philistine lands. Immediately following that in the text, it says, Isaac sowed grain, mind you, in famine season, 
which means there's no rainfall, there's no water. But he found a place, a little microclimate, where he had his tents set up, and he sowed a grain crop in the famine season, and he reaped 100-fold. A hundred times more seed came back to him than what he planted. Now we know that the nomadic tribes of the ancient East, as they moved around, if they found a, a plot of land and the climate was right and the rainfall was right, they would sow a crop of grain. It was called micro-agriculture. And they would stay in that place and they would wait until the grain harvest was in, which would have been as early as as maybe the first part of March if it was barley, and at the end of March if it was barley, and, and the first of June if it was wheat. And, um, and when the grain was in, they, they would up and move. They'd go on someplace else and take the crop with them. Here, Isaac yields, his, his sowing and his reaping yields a hundredfold, and it says, in one verse it says, and he became rich, and he became richer, and then he became wealthy. Now, realize, he received everything from Abraham. That's flocks, herds, tents, you know, silver and gold and servants and slaves and trained men of war. And then he had his own camp. He had his own people. And so they really were a mighty company. And now he is wealthy beyond the Philistines. And immediately the text says, and the Philistines were envious. They were jealous of him wait a minute, this nomad moves into my neighborhood and in the middle of famine, he throws some seed on the ground and he's a stunningly stunningly wealthy man as a result. And they didn't like it. The Philistines did not like that at all. So, what starts is this, this persistent conflict between Abimelech who comes to him and says, you are too mighty for us. There had been a squabble over a well. You know, the, the Philistine shepherds come and they say, well, this isn't your land. This isn't your well. This is our water. And Abimelech, the, the, the king comes and says, you're too mighty for us. You know, we can't, we can't stay this close together. It's going to come to blows and, and you are stronger than we are. So we're asking you, please leave. Go away. Take your stuff and leave. Now, here was a chance for Isaac to step up and say, the Lord God Almighty told me to come here, and here I stay. He didn't do that. He folds his tents. He gets ready to move, and, and he, in the text says he goes into another valley. He moves away. Okay? The problem is when you take herds and, and animals, livestock and people and servants and slaves, you've got to have one thing out there in the wilderness. You have to have water. And I speculate, and that's what it is, it's speculation, but that be, as you begin to pack, down, uh, pack up and break down your, your camp, you send ahead of you out into the wilderness a, a team of well diggers. You see, Abraham had dug, had dug those wells. Abraham had prospered in that region before. But when Abraham died, the Philistines came in and they just backfilled those wells. They just shoved a bunch of sand down the throat and it was gone. Now, when Isaac inherits everything, he inherits 
the servants of Abraham. And there may have been one left. He would be an old man now, but he would have been one who remembered where those wells were. And so the well digging team leaves in advance, goes over into the next valleys, and goes to the same place that Abraham dug the well, and they they bucket the sand out, they dig it out, they dig it out, and here comes here comes the family, flocks and herds and camels, and everything's loaded up. And when they arrive in this new location, there's a flowing well. There's water. But then here come the Philistine shepherds and they say, this is our land. This is our water. Isaac has another chance to say, my father dug this well. And he named this well. In this case, the well was named Dispute. <laughs> okay? But he has, he has a legal right to say, this also is a place where the Lord has met with us. And he doesn't do it. He packs up his camp. He sends out the well diggers ahead of him into the next valley over or over, wherever they're going. They move and they dig another well. And sure enough, here comes the family, the camels, the tents. Now, Jacob is the man who is a man living in tents and tearing down, packing up, rolling up, loading camels, loading donkeys. That's exhausting work. And he's ready to do it a second time because Esau ain't there. Esau's out hunting. And then there's a third time. You know, they, they get to this well. It's called, and, and they dig it. They clean it out. And, and it's flowing. And here come the Philistine shepherds. And they say, it's our land, our water. And Isaac names it opposition. And so the, they move again a third time. They, and they go further and further away. And they come to a place called Rehoboth. And it means wide spaces in the expectation that they're far enough away, they're not going to be troubled. And the well flows and the flocks are growing. But then, for whatever reason, a fourth time, Isaac says, roll up the camp, we're going back to Beersheba. About 37 kilometers up out of Rehoboth. And they go back to Beersheba. It's out of the Negev, edge of the Negev. And they know there's water there, but they get there. And there are wells already there, but they arrive, and so does Abimelech and Phicol, his general. Now, Phicol, there was a Phicol a hundred years before who was general with the, with the Abimelech that Abraham had to deal with. So we're dealing with generational titles, if you will. Somebody inherited that title. Plus, there's a third personal military advisor that comes with Abimelech, and Abimelech says to him, says to Isaac, we... we we want to make a covenant with you, an oath with you, because we've done, we've done good by you. We haven't harmed you in any way. Well, if you count forcing them to move three times uh, as no harm, well, it, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of frustration. But it wasn't harm. It wasn't, they didn't attack the camp. Okay, They didn't steal anything. And likewise, Isaac says back, why, why are you here? Why, why do you come to me like this? You hate me. You drove me away. So they have a feast. They make their oath together. It's a non-aggression pact. I won't hurt you if you don't hurt me. And you don't hurt me if I don't hurt you. you know, they, they make this oath. And, and it's, uh, it's called, uh, the oath is really Sheba. 
the name of it. And, and so there's the well of the oath, Beersheba. And um, Abimelech and his advisors leave, and immediately a servant runs up to Isaac and says, we have found water. We've found, we've, we have dug another well. And so not only is there abundance in, in the Beersheba area from older wells, but this one is new and fresh. It's flowing. And God keeps blessing Isaac. Now, his, his passivity and his, his unwillingness to take a stand is being watched carefully by his sons. His lie that, oh, that's my sister. And they look at each other and say, that's mom. That's not his sister. Okay, and, and finally they, they come to the place where, to Beersheba, where you know, the Lord uh, encounters Isaac again, and there's an altar, and there's a worship that happens, and, and Isaac worships the everlasting God. New name, new relationship with this God that's making himself known to Isaac. Here, here, here's Isaac. He's a man who started well, but the older he gets, the more passive he becomes, and he doesn't end well. Now, trust me, there are many, many examples in the body of Christ of leaders and of parents who start well and who do not finish well. And in this case, the parenting, if you will, and the leadership quality of Isaac and Isaac and Rebecca is based upon a passive parenting model that says, oh, it will all turn out okay in the end. And they sit back and let it roll. Yeah, they love their sons, but they're, they are not doing what Abraham had instructed them to do. What Father Abraham had taught him to do. They didn't do it. And the next generation begins to slide and suffer as a result. The end of that chapter, end of chapter 26, it says, Now, when Esau was 40, Esau didn't wait for his father to arrange for a marriage, which was how things were done. Instead, he on his own hook goes and he says, I want that one and I want that one. And he marries Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and Bezamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. These were women raised in Canaanite households. Canaanite people worshipped a pantheon of gods, dealing with harvest, dealing with fertility, dealing with war, and, and, and uh, a Canaanite worship was some of the most deviant, wicked stuff on the face of the earth. And that's why the Lord said to Abraham, You're gonna go, your people are going to go into captivity for 400 years because the sin of the Amorite, the sin of the Canaanite peoples is not yet full. And God keeps reaching out. God has relationships going with the Philistines and going with these, these people. They choose not to honor him and worship him. They keep to their pantheistic ways. And these women that Esau marries are Canaanite women. And the text says at the end of it, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. See, once again, you've got Esau who's sort of been absent through this whole chapter, in and out, in and out, maybe came home, got his laundry done, had a meal, back out in the field. He wasn't part of the moves. He probably had to come home and find where they were this week. 
but he wasn't an intimate part of that process of redigging the wells, renaming the wells, moving, seeing water flow for people and for animals. And now Esau has against him this irrevocable vow that he has relinquished his birthright. So he goes out and he marries Canaanite women. Exactly what Father Abraham said don't let that happen to your dad. Don't let that happen to Isaac. But somehow that slipped. And Isaac, Isaac never dealt with that. And Esau went off and got married on his own. And he brought these, these worship, uh, idol-worshipping women in, into the family. And it says it was a great grief to his parents. Now what I want us to think about is in any given time on the earth, there's perhaps four living generations. You've got great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and children. And just recently, my mom passed at age 97, but we had opportunity to have video conversations with her, and she told of her memories of growing up in Seattle, of going to school, of learning to drive a, a car when she was 10 years old, and, and working at Frederick and Nelson's uh, department store in the comptometer department. Um, she met my dad on a blind date. At just after the World War II started, just after Pearl Harbor, and they had an intense two-week, two-week, mind you, uh, courtship, and he, my dad, asked her to marry him, and they were married nine months later, in September 1942. And, and, on, and on and on of how God's faithfulness to the family poured down through my mom and my dad. And we heard those stories. I heard them as a child, and then my kids heard those stories, and even my great you know, my grandchildren, now the fourth generation, heard those stories out of the mouth of grandma. Well, what that represents is spiritual wells, if you will, in the lives of the previous generations, where righteousness and peace and joy and love and patience flowed out, where there was worship of Most High God, if you will. They loved Jesus, and it resulted in blessing and some prosperity and a generous spirit. And so then if you come from that kind of family where there's history of righteous parents and righteous family, then you want to go back and you want to stir up those places to serve God, those places to experience God for yourself, to get what your ancestors paid for. Now, Or you may have come from a family that was hurt and confused and felt you felt betrayed, you were cast out. Maybe it was just in darkened. Maybe Jesus had no place anywhere in, in any of the stories that you heard. Okay? And so consequently, there weren't any wells. There was just, it's just places where the sand had been piled down and packed down into your life, and there was no flow. There was no life that flowed from that. So to you who had that kind of hard background, with no life-giving spiritual counsel and leadership from your ancestors, trust me, you cannot repent for the sins of those of your forefathers. You can't, you can't go and go, oh God, please forgive them. Sorry, that door's closed. Okay, They have to deal with their own stuff. But you can renounce those sins that you know from the past, maybe some that crept up on you, kind of like, Ooh, mom did that. Grandma did that. I'm doing that. And I know that's wrong. And, and you can say, stop. 
to that generational pressure that's on you. You can renounce that and repent for your own stuff. Ask God to come and wash you clean, and he will, and, and restore joy. And you can love and serve Jesus and obey him and receive his blessings. So in here, there's a pivot, okay? You can stay with the old stuff and end up kind of like, well, I'm on my own. I'm not involved here. I think that Canaanite woman looks really good to me. And you go the way of Esau. Or you can be intimately involved in redigging those old wells so that they flow life-giving stuff. And that's what Jacob was involved in. And that's what I'm inviting you to be involved in for yourself. If you sense generational pressure, let's talk about that. You know, we'll work that out and we'll say, right here's where it stops. And in this generation, we're going to serve the Lord and my children's 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 children, on my progeny are going to serve the Lord and be blessed as they obey him. All right, Forge family, I'm going to see you soon. Lord Jesus, we ask you to, again, plant this in our heart. Help us ponder and think and receive it as from Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.